Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast to O'Brien. Uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. A warmer for the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, we've got a great podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two is Eli Becker. He does a tremendous job over at EchexCBB taking a look at this great game. He is the founder and main operator of that wonderful network. We are going to be getting his week one takeaways, what we've all been seeing in terms of the landscape of college basketball, reacting on some of the big upsets and some of the favorites certainly coming out in full force. We'll also dive in on what we've got on a Monday slate that I think is very interesting and is very underrated as well. So we're going to be joined by Eli talking about that and so much more in segment number two in the final segment. Going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, Lars M. Name you does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to fire on whatever you like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Biggest question I got from a lot of you guys is. You guys, much like myself, are noticing a lot of games going over, and I got a question of how do we adjust, how do we gauge everything that's going on right now, and I think the biggest thing for me is that I've made a little bit of a shift up with regards to my totals. I'll make an even bigger one if we continue to see these late game fouls for one, and just two, in general, fouls moving forward, because I just have noticed this. You'll notice I've asked my guests about this as well. Just the absolute uptick in fouls. It feels like refs are calling everything this year. Maybe I'm speaking aloud. If I'm off base, send me a comment saying, hey, I am not noticing the fouls like you are, but Man, it feels like they have been calling everything this year. And those NFLs have really, in my opinion, led to an increase in scoring. Like we have seen it with so many games where if you look at like the overall shooting percentage, you look at the overall tempo, if you take out some of these added fouls, it's like it feels like it would normally go under. But when you get 100 million billion fouls, that just really causes these totals to fly over. So that is something that I'm going to be gauging because typically towards the beginning of college basketball seasons, refs are instructed to call a little bit more than they would later on during the season. We'll see if it dies down just a little bit 
or if it continues to be as rampant as it is. So that's the way that I am proceeding with that and do appreciate the question. Now let's take a look back at everything that we saw on a wonderful college basketball Sunday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The biggest upset of the day on Sunday was Weber State going in and getting the job done against St. Mary's. How about by a count of 61 to 57 and Weber State was down 14 points in the second half at one point, and then the Dylan Jones show happened. Dylan Jones, double-double, 29 points, 10 rebounds. Weber State is back, baby. Jones also did have five turnovers, but you know what? when you have the ball in your hands quite as much as he does, that is going to happen. And for St. Mary's, they were just truthfully off with their three-point shooting. Credit where credit is due to the Weber State defense as well, but Ada Mahaney, he went for 11 points on 14 shots. You had St. Mary's commit 15 turnovers, a Weber State's nine as well. Very quality win for a Weber State team I picked before the season to win the Big Sky. So far, so good there. We also saw a upset in the late game. Nevada, they take down Washington 83-76, to and this game was lost by Washington at the free throw line. Nevada goes 21 of 26 at the charity stripe, 9 of 21 for Washington. Granted, Braxton Maya took a lot of those free throws, but pretty inexplicable for Washington. They also lose the turnover bat 11 to 6. Nevada didn't necessarily shoot it well from three. They went just 2 of 14, but because they were able to take care of the ball, and oh, by the way, Keenan Blackshear, 31 points, 6 boards, 5 assists. He looked pretty good. That was the difference as well. And Xavier Wheeler, he did give out 5 assists and had 14 points, but 6 turnovers. Not great to say the least. For the old Washington Huskies, you did see Yale go on the road and they took down Loyola Marymount. We're just starting with the West Coast games. I guess 83-80. to 80. Yale gets a ton as Yale goes 5 of 8 from 3 point range and 24 of 30 at the charity stripe. Baz Embeg, he goes for 28 big points. Matt Noling was able to chip in their 18 as well. And for Yale, they win the rebound battle 34 to 26. Yale, they didn't necessarily have one thing where they truly, truly shine, but it felt like they just won every category by just a little bit. You did have for Loyal Marymount Justice Hill. Go off for 10 points, but you expect a little bit more out of him. They honestly got a really good performance off the bench from Dominic Harris. The Gonzaga transfer went for 21 points, but for Yale, defense did look a little bit spotty here, but offensively, they were very rock solid, and Grand Canyon was rock solid as well. 89-55. to They completely host Northern Arizona for Grand Canyon. They go 6-17 of 17 from three-point ranges, belled scoring all across the board as you did have Sidney Curry coming off the bench for 17 points. Gabe McLaughlin, 14 rebounds. As for Grand Canyon, they win the rebound battle 41 to 24. And like it's going to be a very long year for Northern Arizona. Liam Lloyd was able to go for 16 points, but that's about all the positive that they had as they lost the turnover battle as well, 16 to 13. Our DK Network write-ups now 6-2 on the season as North Carolina, they win, but they do not cover the 24-24.5 that they were laying against Lehigh. Took Lehigh with the points, 90-68 the final. Lehigh goes 13-33 of from three, and this became much more of a sweat than it needed to be. Lehigh was down three points with about 13 minutes remaining. They were holding in there, and then... For North Carolina, Armando Baycott, he completely took over the game down low. 22 points, 20 rebounds. The 
Tariels, they win the rebound battle 52 to 31. And for North Carolina, they win the turnover battle by one as well. And RJ Davis, he was able to chip in their 22 points, but we got the cover with Lehigh. And that's one of the few big favorites that have not come through as. You take a look at favorites. We're going to get to this in a few minutes. They have been covering a little bit north of 52% of games. This was also a little bit of a center from Sunday as well. Maryland, they are now 1-2. and two. They lose to UAB 66-63. And for UAB, they went just 1-9 of nine from 3. This was not an upset where they shot by any stretch of the imagination. Well, and as a matter of fact, Maryland was able to win that rebound battle 36-33. But... For UAB, Eric Gaines was the best player out there on the floor in this game. 20 points, did have four turnovers, but also forced four steals, gave out three assists. And for Maryland, they just weren't really able to get cooking from three themselves. Six of 23 from distance. Jameer Young did all that he could. Six boards, six assists, 14 points. But for Maryland, they do lose a turnover battle, 15 to 14. And UAB, they are one and two as well, but have played some quality competition. They were able to get that done. Eastern Washington, they do not get the win, but they were able to cover the spread against Cincinnati, 85-73. to And looks like Cincinnati might be going a little bit more up-tempo this season. 8 of 21 from three-point range for them and for Eastern Washington. They were able to hang in there relatively solidly on the glass. 36-32, to Cincinnati still won with Victor Lequeen, 26 points. 11 rebounds, but you did have Cedric Coward go for 21 points in this one for Eastern Washington. So, quality cover from a team that's been a covering machine over the last few seasons. Iowa State as well. They have laid north of 25 points in each of their first three games. They have covered all three of those big spreads. 86-55. They did need a Jackson Pavelski three-pointer with about 30 seconds remaining to cover this one, but I mean, once again, a very dominant display. Idaho State 24 turnovers to 18 made buckets, and Idaho State, they go 11 of 22 from the free throw line. That's a little bit of an issue for Damon Lipsby. Not a great performance out of him. Six points, five assists, four seals, but always finds a way to be able to impact the game. And for Idaho State, by the way, 17 steals to 18 made field goals for Idaho State. So just a very dominant display out of them. It was a less than dominant display, though, for Rutgers, a Bryant team that is currently going through an interim coaching regime because Jared Grasso is away from the program. Phil Martelli Jr. acting as the acting head coach. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights, they win, but they don't cover 66-57 against Bryant. Bryant is really playing at a slower tempo right now under Martelli Jr. They did get off the bench. The St. John's transfer, Rafael Pinzone, to be able to go off for 17 points. And for Rutgers, they go just 4 of 22 from three-point range. Cliff Amarui, he was dominant in this one. He had a little bit of a thud night number one, but 13 points, 15 rebounds. He was able to do his part, but clearly the Rutgers backcourt looking like they're a little bit out of sorts right now. So, and it's something that I am certainly taking note of and something else I'm taking note of. Davidson did not get the outright win, but they were able to cover and they were right there with Clemson. 68-65. to Clemson escapes with their lives after they got down very big very early in this one. Davidson, as a matter of fact, with about eight and a half minutes remaining in the first half, they were up 23-5 to before we did see Clemson be able to storm back for Clemson. P.J. All once again was the man that was able to bail this team out. 17 points, 7 boards, 4 assists. So Joe Girard, he also had 17 points, went 5 of 12 from 3-point range for Davidson. 
just feels like it's a cast of characters that on any given night, one or two of these guys could be able to step up. Grant Huffman was the guy in this one, 12 points, 5 assists, and for Davidson, they win the turnover battle 10-9, they win the rebound battle 35-31. to Lone reason why they're unable to get it done in this one is that they just didn't shoot quite as well as Clemson for Davidson. Shot just 39.3% from the floor, but all in all, very good showing there. Good showing out of San Francisco as well. They go on the road and they lose to Boise State, but they do get the cover 63-58 to the final as Boise State goes 5-13 of from 3, just 4-19 of from distance for San Francisco, but with San Francisco, what they did a very solid job of was being able to hold in there and being able to just find ways to have Josh Mogbo be able to make this game all yucky. 10 points, 9 rebounds, a block, 2 steals in this one. Meanwhile, for Boise State, Tyson Dagenard, he missed the first game or two of the season. He was back 17 points in this one. He went just 1 of 2 from 3-point range. And for Boise State, they did go 12 of 23 at the free throw line. If you laid the points with Boise State, that is the reason why they were unable to cover. But quality result there. James Madison, also a quality result. That is three covers in three games for them. 107 to 86. I personally thought when the total got north of 16, he had gotten a little bit too high, but both of these teams, they were knocking down their threes. A combined 18 of 38 from three for both of these teams. With Howard, they did have a pretty nice performance from Bryce Harris with 15 points. Marcus Dockery, he was able to put in there 21, but the James Madison team, they just come at you and drove six different guys. We able to put in there at least 10 points. Julian Wooden was the main guy in this one with 22 points. You had Michael Green, the third, be able to dole out eight assists, 17 points, one turnover. Just a really dominant display in general from James Madison and Merrimick. They were without Jordan Deckcock in the second half of their game against Maine, but they were able to get the all right win 71 to 65. I will be checking in on his status as that was arguably the best player for this Merrimick team entering into the game, but a quality win regardless. Only question is at what cost. And then we also did see Baylor. Win but not cover against Gardner-Webb, 77-62 in a game in which it got a little bit airy. Gardner-Webb was leading with about 14 or so minutes remaining in the second half. They're up, as a matter of fact, by kind of 48-45, to and then Baylor was able to go on a nice run in the second half. Baylor does go 0-9 from three-point range, so they made as many threes as myself. Baylor, though, they were able to control the glass, winning that rebound battle by kind of 47-29. to You did have... Jacoby Walter go for 14 points, 8 rebounds. You had also for Baylor 5 blocks out of one of their young freshmen in Yves Misi. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Meanwhile for Gardner-Webb, they were able to do a nice job of being able to win the turnover battle by a count of 14 to 12. Certainly got plowed on the glass, but Julian Sawarmo, he was able to chip in their 16 points. And if you are taking a look at the trends of college basketball right now, was alluding to this. Favorites, they continue to be rock solid. 162, 149, and 5 against the spread. I unfortunately can't break down by teams that are single-digit favorites versus teams that are double-digit favorites, but I have to think that double-digit favorites hitting at at least 54% right now. Meanwhile, the totals was alluding to this a little bit earlier. We have seen 169 overs, 
140-200s, and I believe that we are up to, as of right now, five pushes. So that's what we've seen in college basketball thus far, and that's what we got in college basketball on Sunday. Coming up next, we chat with one of our good friends, Eli Becker of HXCBB, about what he's all seen thus far this season. We're going to be taking a look at some of the Monday games and so much more right here on Cuscus with myself, Jacob Peters, and now a part of the Houston Family Podcast. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, watch Creighton. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team that cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? See the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. 
John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my my dance, <laughs> Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Cus Cassis with myself, Greg Ibs Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man as he is the founder of Heat CBB. Does such an amazing job taking a look at this great game of college basketball and all 12 months out of the year. Whether it be the middle of June or if it's March, this man is doing a great job of taking a look at the sport that we all know and love as it is Eli Becker is joining me. Did such great work with the college basketball almanac to get us up for the upcoming college basketball season. Now he checks EBB doing a great job tracking everything that we're getting this season. And you know, follow Eli on Twitter slash X. And his last name, Betker, B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R, underscore, and then Eli, and for Heat Check CBB, simple enough, at Heat Check CBB. Eli, always great to get you aboard. Thank you. Yes, thanks so much as always, Greg. It's a pleasure hopping on, but it's especially nice now that we have some games to talk about, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it certainly is, and now we're about a week through the college basketball season, and I just, just want to ask, obviously, a little bit of a wide-ranging question that you could go a wide variety of ways with, but... What have been some of your biggest takeaways from the first week of the season? Because I think one of the biggest things for me is that it feels like the top teams that have played against these low slash mid-majors, they have just truly looked dominant coming out of the gates. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think some of the teams up top, maybe with the exclusion being Michigan State, obviously with their loss to James Madison. But for the for a large part, I'd say the team that are at the top of the rankings, they feel pretty comfortable so far. I don't really anticipate much of a difference in Monday's AP poll just because of the teams that have held serve. But with that being said, there have been a handful of teams that have dropped games. And I think maybe the the larger perspective here being and something that I've been referencing in recent years is I just think, and this is to, to go on too much of a tangent here, but I do believe with the way college basketball is nowadays where a lot of the high major teams are largely rooted around mid-major transfers who have exceeded and have reached the new heights in college basketball and some of the mid-major teams being more so in some instances highly ranked recruits who didn't quite pan out or players who are on some of those teams that decided to transfer down. I just think there is a much smaller difference now, a much smaller margin between 
what your average power six team looks like and what maybe a team out of the horizon league or the summit league or some of those conferences that are kind of in the middle of the pack look like and there have already been plenty of games this season where buy games have been handled pretty steadily by some of these small conference teams and Abilene christian beating oklahoma state We saw Western Carolina pretty much go wire to wire over Notre Dame. Pacific beat California. Nichols came out, I think, to a 20-point lead over LSU. Presbyterian beat Vanderbilt. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. And these aren't teams, I'd think, that have necessarily NCAA tournament aspirations this year. These are some of the lower-ranked high-major teams, so that is the caveat. But I think it's just where college basketball is nowadays, where maybe the 60th best team in America isn't really all that much better than what the 100th best team in America is. So I do think that's a storyline to monitor, especially as we're in this part of the season where there are a lot of bye games, teams uh, playing against some weaker opponents, but these games have been closer than I would anticipate. And I think on top of that, I feel like there's a little bit more of a top tier right now because I do feel like those top, we're going to call it 10, maybe even 15 teams in all of college basketball. I think the discrepancy between they and team number 35, team number 40, it feels bigger than it was last season, but I feel like the difference between like team number 35, team number 40, and team number 100, just spitballing a number there, that actually feels like it's significantly smaller than last year. I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like the top teams, they really do look like the top teams, but if you're outside of really that top tier, it feels like it's a little bit more of a hodgepodge. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a good point. And obviously, we're just a handful of days into the season. So it's hard to project too far into March. But what that would lead me to believe is that some of these higher ranked teams, maybe the top three, top four seeds that we see in the tournament, of course, that's four months away. That's a long ways away. But it could lend its way to fewer early round upsets that we've seen in years past where it's been more of a changing of the guard at the top. I know we've had recent seasons where it seems like the number one team in the country, maybe not necessarily in the AP polls, but just by the general discourse seems to have changed quite a bit throughout the season. Maybe that won't necessarily be the case, or maybe there will just be a handful of contenders at the top that really control throughout the season. But of course, it's early. There is a lot of basketball still to be played, but I I do think there is a pretty strong contingent of contenders at the top of the college basketball ladder right now. Yeah, and it has been really interesting to take a look at some of these teams as Eli Becker, who does such an amazing job over at DCBB, is joining me on Cusco Soups. And Eli, both of us out here on the West Coast, I know that you're a Washington grad, so you're very much a little bit of a stand for the Pac-12, and I get to see a lot of it as well. What did you make out of really the biggest Goliath matchup of college basketball thus far? We're going to be getting some big ones on Tuesday with the Champions Classic, but what did you make out of Arizona going on the road to take down Duke? Because I did feel like coming into the season, Duke was that number one team in all of college basketball, but I thought that the difference between they, Kansas, Houston, those sorts of teams was very, very small. And I can't say that I'm stunned by the result, but I thought that that was a massive statement from an Arizona team that we thought they were going to be good, but we didn't necessarily know what it was going to look like for sure with Caleb Love in the backcourt. And I was highly impressed by the way that they went into Cameron Indoor. Yeah, this was a very impressive performance. And Tommy Lloyd spoke with Brian Ralph of He Check CDB after the game and said glowing things about this team and what he expects out of them. And it's hard to disagree. This is pretty much as tough of a game 
that a team can win in college basketball is going into Cameron Indoor and getting a win. It's the reason why Duke is so prestigious and continually competes for national championships is they don't often lose that game in that scenario. But it speaks to where Arizona is right now. And of course, it's maybe just a few baskets going Duke's direction and Duke probably ends up winning. But win or lose, this was a very impressive performance for an Arizona team that obviously lost quite a bit in the offseason. But in particular, I thought Keelan Boswell just had a phenomenal performance and the way that he competed he hit some timely shots he was active on the boards did a great job distributing for the Wildcats and he uh, of course he was a player who should probably just be a freshman right now because he did reclassify and was shuffled behind the depth that Arizona had in the backcourt last season for him to show out like this in effectively his first true road game in this type of atmosphere as a starter at the D1 level, that really shows some serious stones and what he is capable of as the season goes along. In large part, I think we know what Arizona is going to get out of guys like Umar Balo, who, who should consistently be a double-double type guy. Caleb Love is going to win you some games. He's probably going to lose you some games. Uh, Keisha Johnson, I'd say he's more of a role guy, but he had an excellent game on Friday night as well. He added 14, and he's not really known as a, a bona fide scorer. He's more of a length and disruptor, but he did a great job on disrupting Tyrese Proctor, who's kind of everyone's or America's breakout player who... Really was limited quite a bit, but gosh, it, it seems like there's a lot of potential with this Arizona team. I thought they looked smooth, they were effective, got some key stops, and just really competed on the road in a, a very challenging environment. For Duke, I mean, it's a win that obviously would have been huge for them, and I certainly don't think this is the end of the world. I'd say that Jeremy Roach and Kyle Filipowski both looked really good, but getting that tertiary score getting that uh, that other guy who can step up whether that be Tyrese Proctor we saw what he did in the tournament last year but so far really wasn't a great performance out of him Friday night I think if Duke wants to reasonably compete for a national championship this season they're going to have to get guys like Caleb Foster Jared McCain involved and probably Mark Mitchell could very well be an x-factor moving forward for this team so I keep my eyes on those guys some young contributors on this team because I mean outside of Jeremy Roach and I guess Kyle Filipowski to a certain extent it's it's a team that is kind of inexperienced so we'll see what John Shire can do with this roster but what a great way to kick off the new season with a, a really really fun matchup on Friday night yeah I mean Friday in general did deliver some bangers the fact that we got a game like Tennessee versus Wisconsin as well I mean even Gonzaga playing against Yale there were a lot of good matchups so total agreement with you that was such a good slate as Eli Becker who does tremendous work over at Check CBB is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And obviously we just talked about what, in my opinion, is the biggest game that we've seen thus far. And when it's all said and done, that might actually be the biggest game of the non-conference slate. And I don't even say that as like hyperbole or anything like that. But out of everything that we've seen in the first week, again, it's very, very early. But has there been a team or two that you've looked at since James Madison? Because I feel like <laughs> if you're not stock up on James Madison after what we saw the first week, I don't really know what to tell you. Either that or you were very, very bullish on James Madison coming into the season. But since James Madison, is there a team or two that you take a look at through the first week of the season and they just in general impressed you? I think this one's pretty obvious and it's probably – what most people would pick to this point in the season, but I was high on the Tennessee Volunteers entering the season, and I feel pretty justified so far through through 80 minutes. And I know 
They play Tennessee Tech, which is probably one of the worst teams in the country, but they also went on the road and handled their business against Wisconsin. That is not an easy place to play. That's right up there with Duke in terms of really challenging environments to play, especially earlier in the season when you're trying to figure things out. But this just feels like a way more dynamic offensive Tennessee team than than what we're accustomed to because, of course, the Rick Barnes teams are going to be stout defensively. They've been top five in defensive efficiency in each of the last three years. I don't expect this year's team to really be all that different. They might not be nearly as dominant on the defensive end, but I think that works to their benefit in some ways because the best teams in the country just have to score the basketball. And Tennessee has not been that in years past. They've been pretty sluggish offensively. They've been kind of what maybe some of the weaker Virginia teams have been like in in terms of just sporadic offense and long scoring droughts. But I just love the addition of Dalton Connect. He's been phenomenal. Obviously, he showed out in the exhibition win against Michigan State. The athleticism, I think, is really what has caught people by attention and what he's able to do. But he's a dynamic scorer. He's been doing a lot in just several categories. And he just feels like, and I know it's odd to say this, about a Northern Colorado transfer just on its surface, but it feels like Dalton Connect is the type of player that Tennessee has just lacked in recent years. They haven't had that type of dynamic score. The athlete on the wing who can get you buckets, who can distribute at a fairly high level, just set the tone for the offense because you add in a player like Dalton Connect, you already have a couple of guys like Zakai Ziegler, who's the tone setter for this offense, and he can do some special things. And Santiago Vescovi, probably wouldn't be fair to call him a role player, but He's going to be a pretty steady hand on the offense as well. He's going to take care of the basketball. He's going to do some of the little things. That in itself, that that creates some really nice offensive explosion that Tennessee just has not gotten accustomed to. And especially in the SEC, I think we even talked about it on this show, about how bad the SEC was offensively last season. I don't think Tennessee needs to be, you know, one of the top 10, 15 offenses in the country. I think just being good enough is going to get the job done. And so far through two games, and I know one of the games was against Tennessee Tech, but through 80 minutes, I've been I've been really impressed with what Tennessee has looked like. And it could be a little while before this Tennessee team loses a game just looking at their upcoming schedule. They have a lot of favorable matchups coming up. So I'm definitely looking at the Volunteers as a legitimate national title contender. And I know it's early, but I do feel like they should be in that conversation. And under the radar, getting back Josiah Jordan James this year as well, you were talking about a few guys that are said she suffers that guy just does a little bit of everything and has been in college basketball longer than Van Wilder was in college. So that's a guy that's really been able to help out Tennessee as Eli Becker, who does amazing work over at HXCBB, is joining me right here on Cusco Soups. And Eli, we're recording this just before the Monday slate. And with regards to Monday, it is going to be a relatively good day of college basketball. I do want to get your thoughts on one of the games that we are going to be seeing. That would be the Xavier versus Purdue game because Purdue has looked dominant in their first two games of the season. It was against Moorhead State and Sanford. And I mean, Sanford is a team I thought was going to be solid in the SOCOM, but if you just took a look at the way that the tip went, you could tell that Sanford (laughs) was a little bit outsized. And then for Xavier, very much a team in transition, bringing in a lot of men of mystery. They're going to be in a little bit of transition themselves. How do you take a look at both of these teams and the matchup that we are going to be getting in the Gavit games? Because Purdue is one of those teams that really stood out to me. Once again, I recognize it was against Stanford and more at State, but that said, liked what I saw the first two games from them. It's been impressive, and Purdue needs to... Take care of business. Obviously, you don't want to drop one of these bye games and suffer a loss that's going to hurt come Selection Sunday. But 
it's important for the boilers to establish some things. And I think the most notable one being that they need to manufacture offense outside of Zach Eady. That's going to be probably the biggest X factor if Purdue wants to win a national title this year. It has to come from more guys from Edie. That's like how last season ended. And there just has to be more contributors. And so far, again, you touched on the competition level, and that has to be the asterisk for a lot of the performances that we're talking about at this point in the season. But so far, there have been a lot of contributions. And I think a couple of the guys who need to be touched on here who will play significant roles for this team moving forward, one of them being Miles Colvin, a freshman wing who could really be an effective player in in due time. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the type of game changer at any point this season, but he could certainly impact winning. He scored eight points in both of his first two games, hit a couple of threes in both of the games as well. He's just got a ton of upside, and I think we'll, we'll see how much Matt Painter leans on him as the season goes along because it, it does take some time to develop and, and get up for this level of basketball. And, and Lance Jones as well. He is a really, really shifty basketball player. Didn't, didn't see a whole lot of him at Southern Illinois, but he could be a little bit of a change of pace from from what we've seen because Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, I think you kind of know, and I know they're just entering their sophomore season, but it feels like you know what you're going to get out of them. It's going to be steady production, but I don't know if either of those two are necessarily going to win Purdue any games individually, but Lance Jones, I would probably factor him in and as one of these types of players who could really make a difference. He scored 15 points against Moorhead State, hit three threes, and just did a lot of nice things. Purdue just desperately needs to get some quality, consistent production, and shot making. And if it ends up being that Jones and Colvin can, can beat those types of guys, and Purdue's in much better shape than they were last season and the way that their season ended those two things that they really really had to address but as far as money like is concerned Xavier going into West Lafayette that's going to be a really daunting atmosphere and uh, Xavier it's a team that at one point over the offseason I really liked the preseason injuries really have impacted Xavier I think that's going to be probably much of what the conversation looks like there are some nice pieces on this team like Desmond Claude I like him quite a bit Davion McKnight as well but Beyond those two, it does feel like it's a bit of a transition year for Xavier, given what the losses were uh, for this team entering the season. So if they show up, if they give Purdue a strong game and they show that they can compete in a really challenging atmosphere against one of the best teams in America, then I would say that it bodes well for the Musketeers as they enter into their neutral site games at Las Vegas. So we'll see what statements can be made, but I think both teams are kind of in a little bit of a a different direction right now as it stands. Yep, I do think so as well. And then I have to touch upon one more with you as well, because I find the St. John's versus Michigan matchup so interesting because with Michigan, they are currently under the tutelage of Phil Martelli, who we all remember what he was able to do at St. Joe's. And I maybe I'm a little bit off base, but this Michigan team has looked much better under Phil Martelli than they really did under Juwan Howard. Meanwhile, you've got a St. John's team that, I mean, famously, they lose to Pace College in that exhibition matchup. They were without darn near everyone in that one, so I didn't make too much out of it. They didn't get a cover on my side of the counter against Stony Brook, but still looked very solid night number one. I think that this is one of the more just intriguing games in general. I don't know how far these teams are going to be able to go in March, but when I was asking the question of teams that I feel most bullish about after one week, Michigan is certainly in my top five of a team that is really climbing up my rankings. And for St. John's, 
I feel like we need to just figure out more about them because the talent is clearly there. How it's going to truly look is the question, though. I completely agree with you on that. I would definitely loop Michigan in that conversation and consider them about your first question about teams that have been most impressed by. And of course, these are a pair of bye games, as we said, but Doug McDaniel has looked awesome through two games. And one of the questions for this team entering the season is what would the point guard position look like? And, and that has really been a bit of a dark cloud surrounding Michigan in years past is point guard injuries or just point guard inconsistency. They've had a lot of grad transfers who haven't really panned out the way that they're expecting. But through two games, at least, Doug McDaniel has been really, really good. He's 12 assists to just four turnovers. He's hit some really nice shots and has looked like a bit of a difference maker so far for the Michigan offense. So I've been I've been really, really impressed by him. Olivia Kamwa, he's another player who I touch on and just some of the performances that he had notably last year in the NCAA tournament against Duke where he scored 27 points and really was a bit of a change maker in that game as well. I would not be surprised to see Olivier Kamwa really develop and show his stride with Michigan this season. This could be a great landing spot for him as we look in hindsight, which is interesting to say because the talk of the town around Michigan entering the year, at least externally, was this team is probably on the outside looking in as far as NCAA tournament is concerned, which is not something that we have grown accustomed to saying about the Wolverines in years past. They've been pretty much a perennial NCAA tournament contender since John Beeline. But at least so far through two games, I really, really like Doug McDaniel and what he's displayed. And I think some of these wings are going to be pretty impactful as well. But as for St. John's, you touched on the exhibition loss. That was a bit of a clunker. I know they were without a few of their contributors in that one. But by February or by even March, when the Big East tournament comes around, I feel like St. John's is going to be hitting their stride. This feels like a roster that on paper, there is absolutely no shortage of talent. And with one of the best coaches in the history of college basketball, you'd imagine that they would get there at some point. I wouldn't be shocked to see St. John's put together a non-conference slate that is maybe a bit underwhelming. It's maybe maybe they drop a bye game or, or don't necessarily rack up any quality wins in non-conference play. But it does feel like a team that over time is going to hit their stride. I love Joel Soriano. I think he's one of the best big men in America. I feel like he's very underrated nationally, and he's kind of the guy who sets the tone for this team. And I think his game really sets the tone for what Rick Pitino wants to do with this year's team. So in due time, I think St. John's is going to be one of these contenders, maybe not for the biggest title, but at least for an at-large spot, which is very rare from what we've said of St. John's the last couple of decades. But at least as it concerns Monday night, I'd definitely give the advantage to Michigan given what they have and what they've shown so far through two games. Totally agree with you. Doug McDaniel has looked tremendous. We always talk about that freshman to sophomore bump. When it comes to a lot of these guards, man, that guy has had a big bump from year number one to year number two. And I would be talking about a big year one to year two bump with you, Eli, but I just, you came out of the shoot and you were just always firing it all cylinders. Heat Check CBB is always on top of what I'm taking a look at in terms of college basketball. You guys do such amazing work over there. You, Brian, Connor Hope, Riley Davis, I can go down the list. Obviously, Andy, who does great work behind the scenes with all the editing and everything. You guys are absolutely awesome. So love the good people at home. Know what's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Greg. Gosh, it's just so nice to finally have games to talk about again. I know the offseason can be chaotic at times and news and exciting and everything like that, but it's just nice to have games back in 
in our hands and on our TV sets. So as always, you can follow our stuff on Heat Check CBB, uh, as always on our website as well, heatcheckcbb.com. We got plenty of guys who are heading out to arenas across the country. I know we had both Brian and Riley at Cameron Indoor on Friday night, and we also will have Brian at the Champions Classic in Chicago. So definitely an exciting time. We've got people all, all across the map who are going to different games, and we're just really, really stoked to have college basketball back. It's fun to be talking about games again, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I would be remiss not to mention Lucas Harkins as well, the bracketology yeah. master himself. And Eli Becker is a master of setting up this fine network every single time he joins this podcast. He lends tremendous insights, and it's always a pleasure to be able to chat with Eli. Big thanks to him for joining me on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some day checks. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my game. <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are bust. You can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even posted to my my (laughs) Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are bust. You can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even posted to That's my That's my <laughs> And we're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It's always great to be able to get Eli Becker aboard. He does amazing work over at EchXCBB, taking a look at this game that we all know and love. All those gentlemen over at EchXCBB, they are doing an incredible job breaking down this game every single time. 
Those guys joined this podcast. They always deliver some great information today. It was Eli that joined me, so big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore 81. And we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first. And then the games involving smaller conferences. Those involve six digits. Those are going to be at the bottom. That is going to be the Atlantic Sun, the Big South, the MEAC, the SWAC, the Patriot League. The Southland, I don't know if I'm forgetting any others. The NEC, the America East, and should cover all those conferences. So let's get things going with our first game, and that is the Gavit Games tip-off game. 861-862 on the bang board. St. John's plays host of Michigan. Michigan is a underdog of between 1.5 and, and 2 points, and your total is between 151.5 and 153.5. Such an intriguing game. I did set St. John's as a four-point favor. I'm going to be willing to lay the very small number, and I am much more stock up on Michigan than I was coming into the season. Olivier Kamwa, 42 points in the first two games of the season, has been relatively impressive. Will Shetter, I mean, he is right now shooting 100% from three-point range. I think we're going to see some regression there, but he was an unheralded guy that has been able to rise up. We've seen Doug McDaniel really be able to take that stride forward at the point guard spot. He has been giving out six assists to two turnovers per game. But I do take a look at St. John's, and I think that Joel Soriano, double-double machine from a season ago, is going to be able to do a good job in tandem with Chris Ludlam. I think that these two guys are going to be able to win the battle on the glass. And then you bring in Jordan Dingle, just a bucket getter a season ago from Penn that always had a very high floor. He was number two in all of college basketball last year with regards to points per game. I think they failed to exceed 13 points in just one game last year. And you've got some good depth in this backcourt. Nakeem Aleem is someone that's able to pop some threes. You have David Jenkins, who comes over last season after he was playing over with Rick Pitino for Dennis Jenkins. He was able to give you about four and a half assists per contest. He able to shoot a ball from three-point range. Sean Conway, the VMI transfer, is able to give you a little bit of versatility as well. Both of these teams are deep. Both of these teams, in my opinion, are well coached. I actually do think that Phil Martelli is an upgrade for Michigan over Jawan Howard in terms of an X's and O's perspective, but I do think that with St. John's, they're going to be able to win the battle on glass. I do think that excitement is finally back in MSG for this St. John's team. I do think that that is going to be able to carry St. John's to a nice early season win as both teams are trying to sort out some things at this point. I did set my total on 152. I think that's going to be up-tempo, but I think that both of these teams do play some solid defense, and St. John's holds Michigan to a lot of one-and-done possessions, so we're going to have this total under, and I'm going to be willing to lay with St. John's. 863-864 on the betting board. It is UMass, and uh, they play also Quinnipiac. The Bobcats find themselves as between 7 and 8-point underdogs, and your total on this game, it is 154. I did set my total at a 151-half. I'm diving in on the under with UMass when they were at full force last year. You actually saw this Frank Martin-led team be a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They looked much worse than that with their defense towards the end of the season because of all the injuries, but I do like that they brought in 
Josh Cohen. Josh Cohen over at St. Francis of Pennsylvania last year was a rock-solid man that was able to supply nearly 22 points, eight boards. Not a guy that's going to go out there and shoot threes, but knows what he's able to do down low. And for Quinnipiac, they did not get the cover against Central Connecticut a few days ago, but they looked relatively impressive as they bring in the UConn transfer in Richie Springs as really elevating the team down low. And I do think that Matt Belanich is really going to be able to elevate this Quinnipiac backcourt. About 21 points per game in the first two games and has been able to do a very solid job with the three-point shooting all throughout his career. And then you just take a look at UMass question marks in terms of backcourt because you have like Kevin Cross, who's six foot seven, six foot eight. He's able to give you some boards. He's able to pop some threes. But what are you going to be able to get out of someone like Keon Thompson, who was a little bit of a part-time distributor last season, but wasn't able to give you a lot in terms of scoring. Russell Diggins began his career over at UConn, was a little bit of an afterthought there, had a wishy-washy season last year, and I do feel like you're able to bank on this Quinnipiac backcourt a little bit, even though they do lose some key pieces from a season ago. They do have someone else they like in Doug Young, who he comes over from the non-Division One level. I think that he's going to be a nice spot-up shooter for the team early on. Been able to shoot very well from three-point range, and then you're able to combine all that with Paul Otinho, who came over from the junior college level last year. He should be able to help this team hold at bay as well. So I do take a look at this by. I do think that UMass they should be able to get it done, but I set my line at a seven half between a seven and an eight. I would rather take eight rather than lay seven. So I'm going to be taking a look at those points with Quinnipiac. And with both of these teams, they look to play a little bit more up-tempo. Quinnipiac, a relatively solid outside shooting team. I think we went a little bit too far with this total because UMass, when they have been at full force under Frank Martin, has played actually some relatively solid defense. So looking at the under semi total, 151.5. And at eight or more, going to be taking the points with Quinnipiac. 865, 866 on the betting board. Duquesne is going to be playing as a Stony Brook. Stony Brook, 13.5 to 14.5 point underdogs. So it's between 146.5 and 147 with Duquesne. I did set them as favorites of 10.5 points. I'm going to be willing to take those points with Stony Brook. Stony Brook actually impressed me very early on during the season. And for Stony Brook, what's just so big for them is after they were dealing with ailment after ailment last season, now you get Aaron Clark out there on the floor. And last we saw Aaron Clark at full force. That was a 2021-22 season over at Sacred Heart. 16 points, 4 assists per contest. Has never been a great 3-point shooter, but he's able to get so many guys involved. And for Stony Brook, they do a nice job down low. You bring in someone who's able to give you in the neighborhood about 5.5 to 6 rebounds per game. And Chris Mado, you've got Dean Noll who comes over from Cornell as well. I know that he dealt with injuries two seasons ago, was able to give the team about 10.5 points per contest when he was at Cornell before missing all of last year as well. That's another big addition for this team. You also have Keenan Fitzmorris, a 7-footer that's able to pop threes, and you do have a lot of versatility and a lot of size with this Duquesne team. They've got the Drame brothers who are part of that St. Peter's team that went to the Elite Eight a few years ago, but you saw those guys completely flame out over at LaSalle last season. Dede Grant going to be the best overall just score in this game. Combined 43 points in the first two games of the season. Last year, he was able to log about 16 points per contest, and Jimmy Clark the third is a very good primary facilitator, but I do have my question marks with Duquesne being able to run and hide with this game, because they don't necessarily have that true massive post presence or anything like that. I think that Chris Mado, as a result, can have some success down low for Sony Brook, and having Aaron Clark, Dean Noll back in the fold, I think that this is a Sony Brook team that is being a little bit undervalued. As a result, I did set Duquesne as a favorite of just 10.5 
points. Duquesne actually played relatively solid on defense last year, and Stony Brook has never really been an up-tempo team. So, going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points with Stony Brook set this line at 10.5. 867, 868 on the bang board. South Carolina is going to be playing as a VMI. VMI is between 21.5 and 23-point underdogs. 144.5 to 146 is your total. Set South Carolina as favorites of 15 points. I am going to be willing to take these points with VMI. Now, VMI needs to be a little bit better on defense this year than they were a season ago. Out of 363 D1 teams last year, they were in the bottom three in the country in terms of defense. They did lose quite a few pieces from a season ago, but they do return someone that is going to be able to help this team out down low as some relatively solid skills in the post in DJ Nussbaum at six foot nine last season. Was able to give the team right in the neighborhood about three and a half, four rebounds per game. Wasn't used a ton because there were a lot of guys in front of him, but I like what he's able to provide in the post. On top of that, I do think that you were going to be able to get quite a bit of production out of Corey Cotton, who he has started out the year very strong. First two games of the campaign, to be able to give the team a combined 24 points, shooting well over 40% from three-point range, so even though you do have a little bit of a hodgepodge, you lose some of those top guys from a season ago like Asher Woods and company, VMI, I do think has a relatively solid backcourt and some returning size down low. Meanwhile, you've got a South Carolina bunch that had a very nice win over Virginia Tech. I think that win called into question a little bit more Virginia Tech than it did speak to how good South Carolina could be this season. South Carolina through two games of shooting over 51% from three. Now, this VMI defense stinks, but we should see regression when each of your top five scores are shooting at least 40% from three-point range. I do like some of the additions that they made, like Delon Cooper last year over at Minnesota. Average over five assists per contest, and it's been a rock-solid guard. Got someone like Jacoby Wright, who was a part-time starter last season. He was able to shoot about 35% from three. Looks like he's been able to elevate, and then B.J. Mack down low. He is a Mack truck. He's able to give you some good rebounding, coupled with the fact that you have Josh Gray, a 7-footer, as well. But I do think that for VMI, they are going to be able to hold up in the backcourt, and that'll keep them at bay in this game. Now, like I said, with VMI, one of the least efficient defenses in all of college basketball last year, but a team has always been able to bomb it from three-point. South Carolina looks to be playing a little bit more up-tempo this season as well. It combined 161 points in the first few games of the season, so... As a result, even though you're not going to see a ton of possessions in this game, I did set my total at a 145. We're between 144 and 146 with the way that college basketball has been played and the way that I do think that this is going to be a double-figure game that lends itself to being a bit more up-tempo. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over of 144 before the under of 146. I'll see where this shakes out in the AM, but at current numbers, I would look to that 144 over. And with VMI, we'll take the gallop down of points, set them as a 15-point underdog. 969, 970 on the banking board. Florida State is playing out to Central Michigan. Central Michigan is between a 20.5 and a 21.5 point underdog. Total this game is between 153 and 155. And with Central Michigan, I did set them as underdogs of 18.5 points. I'm going to be willing to take those points with Florida State. They looked much improved on defense a few days ago when they were able to get a convincing win over Kansas State. Now, that is not the same Kansas State that went to the NCAA tournament last season. And still do have my question marks with a Florida State team that was legitimately a bottom 50 defense. There's a point slot on a per-possession basis last year. Central Michigan was actually solid on defense when they had their full allotment of pieces last year. Things went sideways in Mac play when they had all sorts of injuries, but one of their main constants from a season ago, Brian Taylor is back. He hasn't done a lot of scoring this year, but has been able to give the team nine rebounds per contest after a season ago. He shot it poorly from three, but was able to supply 14.5 points, six boards per contest. So 
I like what he's able to bring to the table. You're bringing Anthony Pritchard as well. Someone who over at Tulsa was able to log about four assists per contest. Not a great scorer, but a functional scorer in the Marquise Harding at six foot ten is able to provide some size as well. Going up against a Florida State team that now that they've got guys coming back from injury, they look to be back at full force. As this team should be able to go relatively deep this season. They are still dealing with a few injuries that ailed them towards back half of last season, like Jalen Ganey, who came over from Brown, but I do like Cameron Fletcher. Began his career at Kentucky. He was able to log 13 points in 15 minutes in that season opener against Kennesaw State. For Florida State, a little bit of question mark in terms of the three-point shooting. You do lose a few guys from last season, but your top three-point shooter from the season ago, Darren Green, he is back in the fold as well. So I do think the Florida State, they should be able to get it done and in rather good fashion as well. It does look like the depth is back for Florida State as well. I think this number has gotten up a little bit too lofty. And when Central Michigan had their full amount of pieces last season, we did see this season excel a little bit more on the defensive side of things. Florida State certainly has Central Michigan out-athleted, but I do think that we've went a little bit too far. Going to be one take north of 20 here with Central Michigan. Set them as 18-point underdogs and did set my total at a 148 nap. So, diving under to go along with those points with the Chippewas. 871-872 on the betting board. Butler plays us to East Tennessee State. East Tennessee State is an underdog between 13.5 to 14.5 points. 144.5 to 146 is your total. And when it comes to Butler, I did set them as favorites of just 10 points. I'm going to be willing to take these points with Butler. They've looked solid here in the first two games of the season, but still a lot of question marks with up transfers. What are you going to be able to get out of Andre's screen down low along Jalen Thomas, which, I mean, these guys are relatively solid, but I don't think they're necessarily overly much better than Jaden Seymour. Jaden Seymour has been with this ETSU program for quite a while. Last year had seven and a half boards, a block, nine points per game. He's a very good low post presence now. Losing Jordan King in that backcourt, that is big because he was a primary scorer a season ago, but Ebi Asamoah, who spent a long time at Delaware, not a primary scorer, but a good glue guy. He should be able to help out with that. And then Kumari Peterson, Great name, comes in from Indiana State and the non-D1 level. He has resurfaced and has been able to give this team 46 points in the first two games of the season. Didn't quite see that coming, but I knew that he was a relatively solid gentleman coming back up to the Division One level, and it has been so far so good for him. Now with ETSU, this team is going to have their struggles from three-point range, but it does feel like they've got the pieces to be a relatively solid defensive team, including having Karen Boyd be able to step up as another one of those 91 transfers as well. And for Butler, do have to question how everything is going to be looking with Pasha Alexander running the show. He's able to do a nice job of being able to get some steals, and I do think that he's going to be able to pick off an ETSU backcourt that is in a little bit of transition, but what is Butler going to be? A super up-tempo team? A low and slow team? You saw Butler put up 90-plus in their first two games of the season, but ETSU, they've taken on a little bit more of a defensive identity as well, though they've had a lot of coaching changes and a lot of overall over the last few seasons. So I did set my total at 138. I do think that ETSU going to be able to hold up down low, so going to be taking a look at the points. I did set my total at 138. Going to be diving in on the under along with those points. 873, 874 on the betting board. Villanova's on the road facing off against Penn. The Quakers of Penn are between 10.5 and 11.5 and point underdogs. Totals between 140.5 and 142. I like this Villanova team, and Penn is in a bit of transition, but this is a big-time rivalry in the Philly 5 matchup, and... I think we've got Villanova laying a few too many points here. I set my number at 9, and prior to 
the season. If I would have made this number like night number one, I probably would have set this number closer to about 7.5 slash 8. So I've actually upgraded Villanova a little bit. But I do think that with Penn, this is just a little bit of a lack of respect for some of the guys that do return last year. No question. Jordan Dingle, him being out of the fold, that's big. But Clark Slazier is a guy that's able to put the ball in the basket. Last season, he was a guy that logged about 15 points per contest. Thus far this season, small sample size of three games, but 17 points per contest. Shooting north of 50% from three, that'll be falling down a little bit. And Penn does need to turn the ball over a little bit less. 15 turnovers per game in the first three games. But they go up against Villanova team that they're much improved on defense than they were a season ago. Justin Moore, when he returned to the full towards back half of the season last year, I was able to improve that. This Villanova team has never been lauded for being able to create turnovers, and that bodes very well for Penn. I don't think that this is a terrible matchup for them. Now, Tyler Burton should be able to win the battle down, though. He's been logging a double-double, and then you bring back Eric Dixon as well, who's not really been too much of a score. It feels like he's been giving it a little bit more to Tyler Burton to begin the season. He's taken a little bit of a step back, but I think that he's just trying to get him a little bit more comfortable, and I do think that he's going to be stepping up as the season goes along, but I do think that for this Penn team, they're going to be able to do an okay job down low. I don't think that Nick Spinoso is able to win the battle down low, but even last year, he was just a versatile player. He had like nine points, three assists, five and a half rebounds at six foot nine. He's a little bit of a point forward for this team, and I do think that that's going to be hard for Villanova to be able to match up with. Now, I am a little bit scared off on the fact that Penn shoots sub 70% on the free throw line, but the freshman in Tyler Perkins, he came in with a little bit of fanfare. He has looked amazing for this team with 15.7 points, 8.3 boards, 3.5 assists. He has looked really good here in the first few games of the season. Needs to dial it back with the turnovers, but I do think the Penn is being a little bit undervalued. I like the Villanova guard play overall, and like I said, Justin Moore does improve this Villanova defense, but I do think that Penn, they're going to be playing a little bit more defense-oriented with Dingle out of the fold as well, and I do like what I'm seeing out of this Penn team overall, so I'm going to be willing to take double figures here with Penn, set my line at 9, and they make my total 137 Villanova just year in and year out. One of the slowest teams in terms of tempo in all of college basketball. So, going to be diving in on this total under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points with the Quakers of Penn. 875-876 on the betting board. Miami is going to be playing us Florida Air National. FIU is between a 20.5 and, and a 21.5 and point underdog. Your total is anywhere between 159.5 and, and 161.5. And with Miami, I did set them as 18.5 point favorites. Now that we're getting north of 20, I think that we have went a little bit too far. It's been a less than impressive start to the season for Florida International, but I do think that they're going to be able to pick it up a little bit with Artero Dean. He's in a little bit of transition after Denver Jones was really that primary scorer a season ago, and Artero Dean is a starter that would give you about 12 points. He did a really good job with two and a half steals, four assists per contest. Now he needs to be a little bit more of a do-it-all facilitator. He's had a little bit of a tough time making that transition, but I do think that Deshaun Giddens is going to be able to help him out with that. He was a part-time starter a season ago as well. That did shoot about 36% from three-point range. Biggest key for FIU. How are they going to be able to match up with no Chad Omir down low? Because this is an FIU team that you're in and you're out. They don't really have a lot of size. They really have a lot of that this season as well as they tried to bring in Jonathan Ibar. They tried to be able to get a little bit more out of Mohamed Sonogo. Both of these guys staying six foot nine, but they've had a little bit of a rough go of it on the glass. Seth Pinkney, despite being seven foot one, just doesn't grab rebounds. And no Chad O'Meara, he is a double double machine for this Miami team. And Wuga Poplar, 
How about the start to the season he's had? He was actually dealing with an injury, and we didn't know if he was going to be going opening night a few weeks ago. He has one off for 44 points and has shot 71% from three in his first two games. Certainly, we should be seeing a little bit of a cool-off there as Miami as a whole, shooting 45% from three. Not sustainable, though they are going to be a really good three-point shooting team this season. They bring in someone like a Matthew Cleveland, who I think is a really good third wheel for this team, Nigel Pack. He hasn't even necessarily been a tremendous scorer. They've actually utilized him a little bit more of a facilitator, and he's been able to do a nice job in that role as well. Miami, I do question the depth a little bit with them. You would like to see a little bit more out of someone like an AJ Casey, guys like this, and I do think that for FIU, a team that's actually really good at being able to generate turnovers, Nigel Pack is trying to get acclimated to a little bit of a different role that could cause Florida National to be able to hang within 20. I do think that this is going to be a bit of an up and down game. I feel like these totals are going up a little bit too high because the opener was 157.5 and I would have been willing to take that over. I set my total at 158.5. Now that this is getting steamed in north of 160, I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under to go along with the points with FIU Miami. Very efficient on offense, not necessarily a breakneck t- pace team with regards to tempo. 877-878 on the betting board. It is Middle Tennessee playing us to Western Carolina. Western Carolina between 3.5 and 5.5 point underdogs. Your total is between 136.5 and 137. With Western Carolina, I did set them as underdogs of 6.5 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay it with Middle Tennessee. I have to wonder if Western Carolina gets overvalued just a smidge because of that win against Notre Dame. It was a nice win, don't get me wrong, but Notre Dame is down this year. On Middle Tennessee, they did lose four other top six scores from the season ago, so we should be seeing a little bit of a new look Middle Tennessee team, a team that last year was able to generate quite a few turnovers, held their head on defense a little bit more. A lot of what they returned was three-point shooting, like Elias King last year was about a 40% three-point shooter. Justin Burford, he was one of their better outside shooters as well with about five points and a steal per contest a season ago as well. They are really going to need to have Jared Coleman-Jones be able to step up down low. And so far, so good out of him. Seven and a half rebounds per game in a very small sample size. Season ago, he was just a little bit glued to the bench, but Middle Tennessee has been able to use him to success. And now with Western Carolina, they do lose Tyshawn Claude, their top rebounder from a season ago. They're going to have the most versatile player out there on the floor. Vontravius Woolbright, he has looked incredible. First two games of the season, a combined 41 points, 19 boards, 10 assists. He's able to do it all. And then got Trey Jackson, who logged about 16 points per game, coming over from Iowa State last season. You have some question marks, though, with what you're going to be able to get out of some of these depth pieces as well, though. With Western Carolina, are you going to be able to get night-in, night-out production? I have someone like a Charles Lampton, who is six foot eleven, comes in from College of Charleston. Can he be able to provide a few rebounds for a team that doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, suit his style? You've seen really good production thus far out of DJ Turnitup Campbell. He was a part-time starter last season that all of a sudden has had 30 points in the first two games of the season. But I mean, last year he shot 22% from three. I firmly believe he's better than that. He's right now shooting 66% from three. Got a few question marks there. They are facing off against a Middle Tennessee team that they're not going to generate as many turnovers from a season ago. But I mean, this team has been able to lock you down on defense. They held Northern Kentucky to 57 points. They held Stephen F. Austin to 62. But I mean, that game went to overtime. That was 54 to 54 at the end of regulation. I do think that Middle Tennessee going to be able to do a solid 
solid job on defense. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression there, though, as well. Western Carolina is a little bit more of an up-tempo team, and I do think that Middle Tennessee with their three-point shooting is going to be involved in a little bit of higher-scoring games than what we've seen in the first two games of the season. So I did set my total at 144.5. I'm going to be willing to dive in on the over, but with Middle Tennessee, I do think that they go bounce away from three, and they do a solid job down low of being able to get it done. Said Middle Tennessee is a six-and-a-half-point favorite, going to be willing to lay the number, and going to be riding with the over. It's 79-880 on the betting board. Oral Roberts is on the road facing up against Missouri State. Missouri State is a favorite of six points in your total. That is anywhere between 142 and 143 and a half. But I make Missouri State a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one take six with Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts in quite a bit of transition because they do lose Paul Mills, their coach from a season ago. But even though you lose Max A. Smith, you lose your coach, you've got some of the ancillary supporting pieces from a season ago, like Daishan Weaver, who's right around six foot eight. He's able to pop some threes. He's able to give you five plus rebounds per contest. Kareem Thompson going all the way back to that Sweet 16 team. It's just always been a good glue guy for the team. Last year, shot 39% per three. Wasn't a dynamic score with about 8.5 points per game, but gave you three assists, gave you a steal and a half, gave you five and a half rebounds. These are all really nice pieces, and even though you don't have that go-to score anymore, I think that perhaps Isaac McBride might become that towards the back half of the season. You do have a lot of guys that play in tandem, and for Missouri State, this team is looking to take you to the dentist. They're looking to make this very, very grimy. They're looking to make things just an eyesore in general. Donovan Clay is their do-it-all player with season ago at six foot eight. Shot only about 30% from three, but 12 points, a block, nearly a steal, three and a half assists, five and a half rebounds per game. He's sort of that point forward for them. They don't necessarily have ideal size as they do lose Jonathan Mogbo from a season ago, but Caesar Edwards, who's six foot nine, comes over from Xavier. He should be able to fill that void. Chance Moore is able to be a really nice go-to scorer for the scene. But Missouri State, keep in mind, they were a bottom 25 team in terms of free throw shooting last season. Oral Roberts over the last few years has been one of the most sure-handed teams at the free throw line. They have shot 64% of the free throw line first three games of the season. I do think that that is going to be going northward. I think that that's a little bit of bad variance in general, but I trust in Oral Roberts being able to hold in this game. Oral Roberts going to be playing a little bit more defense-oriented. Missouri State, they have been very slow, very methodical under this coaching regime, so I do think that this is a game where Missouri State gets a little bit of their tempo, but I think that Oral Roberts holds up on the glass and holds in this game. Kelly said Missouri State as a 4.5 point favorite, going to be willing to take those points, and did set my total 136 half, also going to be diving in on the under. 881-882 on the betting board. SIU Edwardsville is on the road facing off against Missouri. Missouri is between 17 and 17 and a half point favorites, and your total on this game is between 148 and 148 and a half. The Vital 152, I'm going to be willing to go in on the over. I feel like we've had also a little bit of an overreaction on this total being shaded downward after Missouri just could not get things going against Memphis. It was a rough go of it for them, but Missouri, Sands, Kobe Brown, they returned a lot of their good pieces from a season ago. They were able to put up 101 points against Arkansas Pine Bluff. You could tell that they were just out-athleted, for lack of a better term, against Memphis, and they go up against an SIU Edwardsville team that fully recognized that they played a low-scoring slog against Dayton. That's Dayton, one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. I do think the things are going to be a little bit more open up, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over, but I think that SIU Edwardsville is going to be able to hold in this game. You've got Lamar and Shamar right back in the fold after 
Last season, they made themselves a nice little tandem with Shamar Wright. He last season shot about 34% from three, 10.5 points per contest. Lamar is a little bit of the better rebounder of the two, but you've also got DeMarco Minor, who is major for the team with three assists, five and a half boards, 14 points per contest, and then Sean Taylor is able to be a nice go-to scorer. The team has added a little bit of depth as well. Terrence Thompson, he's exactly what the team needed last season. He was able to really come on strong towards the back half of the campaign as a six foot eight gentleman that's able to do a nice job of banging down low. And for Missouri, you've got all sorts of guards out there in the backcourt, and all sorts of guys are able to facilitate in general. They've led the country in terms of guys with north of two assists per contest. You have like Nick Honor or Shawnee's pair of guys are able to give you double figures or able to give you multiple assists. Caleb Grill certainly does help out this defense a little bit, but John Tone Jay. You know that he's going to be able to pop it from three-point range. You're able to get some good production as well. Out of someone like a Tamar Bates, who he began his career over at Indiana, was a little bit of an afterthought there. But you know that he's able to stroke it from three, shot about 37.5% from distance a season ago. And Missouri is going to gamble for turnovers. With Missouri, they were one of the top teams in all of college basketball last year in terms of steals forced on a per-possession basis. They were still outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis because if they didn't get that seal, they left their opponent wide open for a bucket. I do think that with SIU and Edwardsville as well, they're going to see a little bit of an uptick in their overall scoring, and I do think that they're going to be able to take advantage of that all-or-nothing Missouri defense. So I did set my total at a 152. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over. And with Edwardsville, set them as 16-point underdogs. So being able to get 17-plus, going to be taking those points and going to be taking a look at the over. 883, 884 on the betting board. It is Ryder, and they are on the road facing off against Nebraska. Nebraska is a favorite of anywhere between 15.5 to 16 points. So on this game, is saying between 149.5 and 150.5. I can only set this line at 12. I am going to be willing to take the points. Now, I actually like a lot of the players that came into Nebraska. Rink Mass is someone with good versatility that's able to pop threes at right around six foot nine. was a good defender over at Bradley. He's been very good these first two games. They combined 22 rebounds, 33 points in these first two games. So you do like to see that. But they are still dealing with the injury to Kessie Shomanaga. I know that he was dealing with that throughout the offseason. He has yet to take the floor first two games. If he does play in this game, he's probably going to be rather limited. Do like what I've seen out of the Charlotte transfer in Bryce Williams as well, who he was able to put in their 28 points in the first two games of the season. And for Nebraska, because they did bring in a lot of transfers from more defense-oriented, slower schools, I do think that that is going to be causing them to be a little bit more of an under-team this year. We did see Nebraska slow down their tempo last season. I think that that is going to be continuing into this year. So it is a spot where I did set my line at a 12. I am going to be taking a look at the points with Ryder and a total of 142. So going to be taking a look at the under end. Part of the reason why I'm willing to trust in this Ryder team as well. I really like the fact that they brought in TJ Weeks, who has been in college basketball for forever and a half. And that's why he's been a consistent, like, nine point per game score. He, throughout his career, is a six foot four, do it all sort of player. Has been about a 38 or so percent three point shooter. He's able to give you a few boards. I do like his overall game. And then on top of that, you've got Mervyn James, who's pretty much the lone all MAAC player that returns from season ago in the entirety of the conference at six foot seven. He's able to give you some boards. He's able to help you out with a steal, double figure amount of points per game. And then on top of that, down low, 
Tariq Ingram, I think, is going to be a difference maker. A guy that began his career at Wake Forest was a little bit of a part-time starter last season. This year, he is the main man down low, and I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job matching up against the likes of Rank Mass and company. And if you're able to get just a little bit of Alan Boom Boom Powell a season ago, he was a starter that was able to shoot about 30 percent from three power range after two seasons ago shot 36 percent from three as a sophomore shot more around 44 percent from three I think he's in for a little bit of a bounce back with this Nebraska team they're stout down low I do think that the perimeter defense leaves a little bit more of something to be desired and we saw Ryder dial back their tempo a little bit last season as well so this is a spot where I did set my total at 142 diving in on the under of Nebraska could I make them a 12 point favorite with them still dealing with an injury to Shomanaga and company so going to be taking a look at the under and the points with Ryder, 885, 886 on the betting board. Kansas State plays us to South Dakota State. The Jackrabbits of South Dakota State between 11.5 and 12-point underdogs. Your total between 153.5 and 154.5. I said South Dakota State at 7-point underdogs. I'm going to be willing to take those points with Kansas State. This is just not the same team as last year. We can't compare last year's team to this year's team because you have out of the fold one of the more dynamic players in all of college basketball from a season ago, Marquise Noel, along with Keontae Johnson. And with now Nequan Tomlin being pretty much out for the season, that leads to a circumstance where you pretty much lose all of your top four scores from a season ago. You have David Ngesson, who's able to give you a little bit of rebounding, and I do think that you're going to see a nice step up from Cam Carter as the season goes along as well. And then we've seen Tyler Perry just be a dominant scorer in general. He's been able to give the team 40 points in the first two games of the season, but he's not the same guy that Marquise Noel is. He's not as much of a distributor, and as a result, you are probably going to need to see some Someone like Darren Ames, the stud freshman from the state of Illinois, be able to step up. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. Arthur Kaluma is a solid player, but I felt like he came in a little bit overhyped. And Zeke Mayo is one of the most versatile mid-major players in all of college basketball. Last season, shot 37% per three with 18 points, 3.5 assists, 6 rebounds per game. Now, South Dakota State did have their turnover woes towards the beginning of the season last year. That Calm down in the Summit League, probably because the Summit League does not have teams that are able to get any sort of turnovers whatsoever. And Kansas State last year was a solid team at being able to generate those, but I feel like this is just a little bit of a different dynamic this year with this team. And you have just a lot of guys that are able to light it up from three. Charlie Easley last year shot 47.5% from three-point range. I really like what Luke Appel is able to bring to the table. He pretty much missed all of last season two years ago at six foot eight. Bombed it at about 36% from three of nine points per contest. He's back in the fold. William Kyle the third. I think he's going to be able to hold his own with Will McNair down low. This South Dakota State team is pretty nasty, and I do think that they're going to be able to do a nice job holding in this one. I set my line at 10. Going to be willing to take those points with South Dakota State, Kansas State, under the tutelage of... Jerome Tang, they're looking to play up-tempo. South Dakota State has always been a little bit more of an up-tempo team as well. I set my total at 154. Between 153.5 and 154.5, if I had my option, I personally would rather take the 153.5 over because in a eight-point game with a minute remaining, you could expect some late-game fouls. So I do think that you are going to be seeing a up-tempo game, and we have been noticing a lot of foul calls in general. So would rather have the 153.5 over rather than the 154.5 under, and going to be willing to take double figures with South Dakota Go to state. 887, 888 on the betting board. Old Dominion. It's the road face off against Arkansas. Arkansas is between 20 and a half and 21 and a half point favorites. And your total is between 144 and 145. I said Arkansas 
at 17 and a half point favorites. I'm going to be willing to take these points with Old Dominion. You're in and you're out. This is always one of the more slow teams in all of college basketball that really pride themselves on being able to play good defense. And I think that they're going to be doing a lot of that once again this season. For Old Dominion, a little bit of a soul-crushing loss over the weekend on the road against Ball State, but... I do think that they can bounce back against an Arkansas team that there's no question. They've got top 10 talent, at the very minimum top 10 talent at that. But they've got a lot of moving parts that they need to figure out exactly what their roles are going to be. It does feel like they're going to have the ball in the hands of Debo Davis along with L. Ellis quite a bit. These are the main facilitators to this point, though. You could very easily see Tremont Mark be bringing up the ball a little bit more, even though he played a little bit more off of it while he was over at Houston. K-Leaf Battle is a really good dynamic scorer that comes in from Temple. He's more of an off-the-ball guard and Trayvon Brazil at 6'10". He's able to pop some threes. He's able to give you block shots, rebounds. You need him to give you hot dogs at the hot dogs. He's going to be able to do that. And I mean, for Arkansas, they're almost victims of their own success in that I feel like they could go as far as 11 to 12 deep. And how do you manage those rotations? Meanwhile, for Old Dominion, You've got to love what you're able to get of your main guard in Chauncey Jenkins. Jenkins last season shot in the mid-30s from three-point range, three assists, 13.5 points per contest for an Old Dominion team that they do play at that super slow tempo. Now, sometimes Old Dominion turns the ball over just a little bit too much, and this is an Arkansas team that can cause some turnovers, but R.J. Blakeney is a guy that I think is a little bit under the radar. Comes in from Dayton. Two seasons ago at Dayton, he was a mid-30s three-point shooter with about 6.5 points per contest as a six foot six do-it-all sort of player. I do think that Old Dominion loses the battle on the glass, but I do think that Dorico Williams... Six foot seven, a little bit of a rebound first guy that averaged about six points, six boards per contest. I don't think he loses the battle as badly as a lot of people expect. And I do think that Old Dominion, they themselves have a little bit of undervalued talent. So I do think that Old Dominion going to be able to hold in this game. I think that Arkansas trying to sort some things out. I do think that Old Dominion makes things a little bit more slow. And Arkansas, we did see them take a little bit more of a defense-oriented approach a season ago as well. So did semi-tall at 139.5. I'm diving in on the under with Arkansas. Going south of them as 17 half point favorites, so won't take north of 20 with Old Dominion and that under. Now we have my DK Network right at pick. 889, 890 on the betting board. It is Xavier and the X-Men are on the road facing off against Purdue. Purdue is a favorite of between 15 and a half to 16 points. Total is anywhere between 150 and 151 half. I do like this total under. I said my total 143. This is not the same Xavier team that was in the top 40 last season in terms of total possessions per game. They lose their top six scores from last season, and while that is an issue in terms of being able to get the total over, it's not an issue, in my opinion, in terms of holding up against Purdue. My DK Network right to pick, that is going to be on Xavier catching the points, and I actually like the transfers that come in for Xavier because I do allude to it. They lose so much of their scoring from a season ago, but they appear to be much better on defense. Right now, opponents are shooting about 21.5% from three against Xavier. Is that number going to be going up? Yes, and you're going up against the Purdue team that in their first two games of the season against Sam Amford and Morad State, they won by a combined 103 points. They're going to be cooling off from their 46% three-point shooting. So you got one team giving up 21% three-point shooting, one team shooting it at 46%. I think you meet somewhere in the middle. I think there's mid-30 three-point shooting. I think that that's a fair assessment to make, especially after Purdue last year. They were 277th in the country at three-point shooting, and you always notice that the freshman to sophomore bump for guards 
is the biggest in all of college basketball. You've got that with both Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, and Smith has looked really good to begin the season. I mean, he's had 18 assists to five turnovers. He's shot north of 50% from three-point range. You've also been able to get some good production out of Miles Colvin as well. He's a six-foot-five freshman that gives this team a little bit of something that they didn't have a season ago. Lance Jones has come over. He's been very good as well. Hopefully I say the last name correctly. Cameron Heidi has been able to do a nice job coming in from Wyzetta, Minnesota. I actually had a roommate from Wyzetta, Minnesota when I was in college, by the way. So that's always fun. And then you've obviously got Giant of the Earth, Zach Eady, who's going to be able to win the battle down low. But that said, with Xavier, I don't think that they get as decimated as a lot of people think on the glass because Abdu Usbain, he was a part of a North Texas team that last year was number one in the country in terms of field possessions per game at 6'10", was always able to hold his own with about six boards, a block for contest. I think he's going to be able to do a nice job there. You've got Davion McKnight, Mr. Do-It-All, coming in from Western Kentucky. Last year at 16.5 points. He was able to give out five rebounds, four assists, two steals per contest. You've got a lot of versatile pieces for the Xavier team that I think that they're going to dial it back a little bit more. Until last season, Sean Miller's teams typically were more mid-tempo teams. Purdue has never really been a team that will go scorch earth and really run it and gun it. And I do think that this is a game that gets slowed down and that allows Xavier to be able to hold in there, bringing in a bunch of transfers that honestly fit together because all these guys are from Conference USA. I did set my line at 11. I'm going to be making my right to pick Xavier taking the points and with the total set it at a 143. So diving in on the under my DK Network right up pick that is Xavier catching these points. In 91-892 on the betting board UTEP is going to be playing us to UC Santa Barbara. The old gauchos are between 2.5 and, and 4 point road underdogs. Your total between 142.5 and 143.5. I did set Santa Barbara as a favorite of two points. Now this is thinking that A.J. Mitchell is going to be in the fold. If A.J. Mitchell is out and that is a big key with this one. This reverts to UTEP being a two-point favorite. So either way, I'd be willing to take UC Santa Barbara, whether A.J. Mitchell is in or if he's out. With that said, though, if A.J. Mitchell's in, it's a money line play. If he's out, it's taking the points. So do want to make that very, very clear. But as I said, with UC Santa Barbara, even if you do have A.J. Mitchell out of the full, which, again, that was a very strange injury, to say the least. That came up at the very last minute. You still have quite a bit of production with this team with Cole Anderson, and then I got to see up close and in person, he's really able to bomb it from three-point range a season ago, shot about 41.5% from three-point range. I really like his overall game for UC Santa Barbara. If you do have A.J. Mitchell out of the fold, you've got to think that you're going to have Pierre-Louis have the ball in his hands quite a bit. Josh Pierre-Louis has never been a great three-point shooter, but as a good defender, someone that is able to give you a little bit over a seal per contest, does a solid job with that regard, and I mean, this is not affected by the guard play at all. Yohan Traore, it's going to be the best low post player in this game. A former top 50 recruit. He was just glued to the bench last year at Auburn. In his first game with UC Santa Barbara, only three rebounds. I've got to think that he's going to be able to do a better job against a UTEP team that really doesn't have a lot of size outside of Kevin Kalu, who's been able to give you 17 rebounds in the first two games of the season. But for UTEP, this team has all sorts of issues with regards to three-point shooting. They have shot 40.5% from three in the first two games of the season. They have played some non-D1 teams that certainly jacks up the numbers and does not make it look quite what it should be as last season UTEP shot about 29.5% 
from three-point range. I think that they're going to be a little bit better than that this season. I do like what Otis Frazier third is able to bring to the table. The uh, George Mason transfer last season had 7.5 points per contest this season. He's had 30 points in the first two games of the season. Very good defensive player. Someone like Tay Hardy who came over from Southern Miss a few seasons ago. He's able to do a good job with his defense. And Kelvin Solomon is very versatile at six foot seven. Last season he was one of the few guys that was able to do a nice job of pulling in boards with right around 9.5 points. Six boards, two seals per contest on a guy that's going to be able to go out there and shoot threes. But I do think that for UC Santa Barbara, having Ariel Bland now fully healthy after last few years, his seasons just got decimated by injuries. That is going to be big for them. So with UC Santa Barbara, I'm good to be on them whether A.J. Mitchell does or does not play. But if Mitchell goes, money line play. If he is out of the fold, I'm going to be taking the points with UC Santa Barbara. So in a little bit of wait and see mode there. And my total really doesn't adjust too much to whether or not he is in slash out of the fold. Because UC Santa Barbara, year in and year out, one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. UTEP, they play at a more on a mid-tempo pace. But once again, offense was anemic last year. Defense was pretty awesome. Semi-tail at 133. I'm going to be diving in on the under. And with UC Santa Barbara, going to be on them one way or another. Mitchell is in. Money line play. If he is out, going to be taking the points. And this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. 893-894. Cal is going to be playing us to Cal State Bakersfield. Meet, meet for the Roadrunners, who are between 11 and 12 point underdogs. Totals between 135.5 and 136.5. Not a great performance from Cal a few days ago against Pacific and... I don't think that they're going to slip up and lose two bye games in a row, but when I make them 10.5 point favorites, I'm going to take 11 plus with Bakersfield. Bakersfield, actually, in my opinion, has some sneaky talent along this roster. They do have Motesis Concreras, a former top 200 recruit who began his career over at Creighton. He's been able to do a nice job down low for this team. He's been able to give you about 12 rebounds in the first two games of the campaign. It's for a Bakersfield team that typically they do a good job of rebounding by committee. Like, you've had the CSUN transfer and Fidelius Okereke be able to give you about 12 rebounds in the first two games of the season as well. And it's good to have Caleb Higgins back in the fold for the team as well. He was out of the lineup after 13 games last season due to injury. He's picked up right where he left off a season ago. 46 points in the first two games of the season. He has that primary go-to guy that's able to dole out the ball. And then for Cal. They've got too much talent to be losing to teams like Pacific. We're going to call it what it is. Fardaz Amek, last time he was playing under Mark Madsen, he was registering about 19 points, 13 rebounds, popping threes, giving you over a block and a half per contest. He has been a little bit anemic here in the first two games of the season. We have a couple of that with the fact that Jalen Tyson, he just got back into the fold, night number one against Pacific. He had 20 points, 11 rebounds, but even though he had production, it felt like there was a little bit of a drop-off with regards to the defense and some of those rotations as well. You've got someone like Jalen Cohn, who's a little bit of a primary scorer as well, so I do feel like it's sorting out these pieces with Cal. Cal is certainly going to be playing quite a bit more up-tempo than they did under Mark Fox, but you've got a Bakersfield team that they really hold their head on defense. They were able to take out Southern Utah night number one, which I actually thought was a relatively solid win. I think that for Bakersfield, going to have a little bit of a tough time on glass, but I do like what Caleb Higgins is able to do in the backcourt, and it feels like Cal in general is having some issues in the backcourt, and that'll allow Cal State Bakersfield to be able to get their slow, grimy game in this one. I said my total at 132.5. I'm diving in on the under. Okay, so I thought that was a 7.5 point favorite, so taking the points to go along with that under. Now let's hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. It starts with 307. 
0656738068 Presbyterian is going to be playing host to the Citadel. The Citadel, three to three and a half point underdogs. Your totals between 134.5 and 135.5. I said the Citadel is a one point favorite. I'm going to be taking them out right on the money line. A lot of people are impressed by Presbyterian being able to get that win over Vanderbilt, but I think we have found out that this is just a Vanderbilt team that in general is not very good, dealing with a whole bunch of injuries. Samaj Teal has been able to be a solid scorer for Presbyterian thus far. He's been able to put in their 30 points in the first two games of the season, but for the Citadel, ironically enough, Vanderbilt transfer Quinton Melora Brown. I think he's going to be the best player out there on the floor. He started last two years and Vanderbilt wasn't a dynamic score or anything like that, but is a guy that was pulling in there right around five rebounds per contest, and Presbyterian, I just don't think it's going to be able to match up down low. It's a Presbyterian team that last season really struggled from three-point range. Thus far, they've been a little bit better with what Teal's been able to give them, and I give credit where credit is due, bringing in Jamari Harvey, who began his career at UNC Wilmington. I mean, at Wilmington, when he was a true freshman, he was putting in their seven-half points, career 34% three-point shooter. That just helps out the backcourt, and Trevon reddish roan and what he's able to do but this is also a presbyterian team that they still don't necessarily have that true point guard meanwhile with the citadel you might not necessarily have the world's greatest backcourt or anything like that but got guys like michael dewar elijah morgan that played with each other last year as well i do think that they're going to be able to play in tandem and on top of that you've got winston hill ironically enough was over at presbyterian last season was dealing with injuries two seasons ago was able to log about 12 points, six half rebounds per game. I just think that the overall level of talent that the Citadel has is superior to that of Presbyterian. I think that the Citadel gets the job done on the road. I did set my total at 139. The Citadel, they are playing much more slowly than they ever did under Dogger Bacham, but it's not super duper slow, and I think that you've got the potential for some late game fouls. So looking at the over and the Citadel outright on the money line. 306 Pittsburgh plays host of Florida Gulf Coast. Dunk City is between a 10 to a 10 and a half point underdog. Your total is between 144 and a half and 146 and a half. Florida Gulf Coast open up as an 11.5 point underdog, and I think that this is the right move. This won't take 10 or more with Florida Gulf Coast. Now, I am very much stocked down on Indiana. This has not been a good effort. They did not look good against Army yesterday, but I mean, you can also be impressed by what you've got out of Florida Gulf Coast as well. Someone like Zach Anderson, I think, is going to be able to match up with Frederico Frederico with Anderson. 12 rebounds in the first few games of the season. With Zach Anderson, he's also able to go out there. He's able to pop some threes. And then you bring in Keyshawn Kelman. He was with Princeton last season. He's more of a back-to-the-basket big man that's going to be able to do a good job on the glass. And even though they have been dealing with the injuries to Isaiah Thompson, Thompson has only been able to get out there for pretty much 24 minutes as far. Did return in their 91 game after he missed that Indiana game. I do think that this team is going to be fine with guys like Cyrus Largie being able to step up. Chase Johnson is a good three-point shooter. And for Pittsburgh, Blake Henson going to be the best player out there on the floor. Six-foot-eight combo player last season. Shot 38% for three, 15 points, six boards. There's just nobody on Florida Gulf Coast that's able to match up with them. But I do think that this Pittsburgh team got a little bit overvalued after Carlton Carrington, who I think is going to be a tremendous freshman. He might be one of the real finds in this class of 2023. If he had that triple-double, I do expect things to taper off a little bit with them. And for Pittsburgh, it does feel like a team that might be dealing with some depth issues. You've got guys at the top that are solid. Ishmael Leggett is able to pop some threes. And the Diaz Graham brothers are relatively solid as well. What are you going to be able to get after that is a big question mark with me. I do think that Florida Gulf Coast has good depth. I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job down low. So I did set my total at a 145 and a half. Between 144 and a half and 146 and a half. Personally, I would rather take the 146 and a half under rather than the 
144.5 over. I've been noticing that Coach Tom Chambers has been throttling down Florida Gulf Coast as he has been at Florida Gulf Coast longer and longer. So we're going to have that 146.5 under. And with Pittsburgh, could only make them a 9.5 point favorite. So also taking double figures with Florida Gulf Coast. 306.571, 306.572. American is going to be playing us to Siena. Siena is between a 4 to a 5 point underdog with your total between 137.5 and 138.5. Now Michael Ely is out of the fold for Siena and they got tossed in their game against Richmond without him. I think that their second game without Ely is going to be going a little bit better. I set Siena as a two-point favorite. I am going to be willing to take them outright on the money line with Siena. I fully expect them to be able to get a little bit more production now that you've got Zeke Takin, who has been coming over, I believe, from overseas. He's been able to get a few more reps in terms of running the offense. I think that that is going to be very beneficial, along with Giovanni Amaruju, who he last season was over at Sam Houston State, was a little bit of an afterthought there. I think that he's going to be able to do a nice job down low end with this just Coach Carmen style of Siena. They play super slow, super grimy, going up against an American team that was in the bottom 20 in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game. I think you are looking at a turtle race with this American team. You do bring back a lot of the backcourt from a season ago. Colin Smalls, Elijah Stevens are your main two facilitators with Stevens really doing out the ball and Smalls. He's trying to come up big with regards to scoring points. Shot 37.5% per three, 8.5 points per contest a season ago. But I do think that it's big that they lose Johnny O'Neill from a season ago at six foot nine, six foot ten. Was able to pop some threes. Was able to give you some rebounding. And now Mark Rogers has to do it all in a system that you really want twin towers. Now you've got just one of them. Now I will say Jeremiah. Paula Sager Webb, who has come in. He's been able to do a relatively solid job after he was on the bench a season ago. Another one of these guys with tremendous size, but that's it for Sienna. I think that they just make this game yucky. I think that they make this game a total eyesore. And with American, this is one of the worst teams at being able to take care of the ball in all of college basketball. And Sienna does a pretty solid job of being able to generate those turnovers. So even with Michael Ely on the fold, I think that Sienna gets the job done in a slow grinder game. Set my line with Sienna being a 2.5 favorite, so taking them out right on the money line. Me and my total at 132, so also diving in on the under. 306-573, Now, folks, Sade is going to be playing us Hampton. Hampton, an underdog of 5.5 to 6.5 points. Your total is between 146.5 and 148 and with the old Pirates of Hampton. I set them as a 9-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the points with Now, folks, Sade. Now, folks, Sade has been dealing with some losses the last few years. They have been hit hard by the transfer portal, but still, this is a team that they always bring in a nice level of production in the backcourt, and this year, they're looking to UNC Wilmington transfer Jamari Thomas. Thomas, while he was over at UNC Wilmington last season, was actually a pretty good starter for them. Seven points, two and a half assists, shot about 34% from three-point range. He should go on a tear out there in the MEAC. And then on top of that, they also bring in Alan Bentrand, who has been in college basketball for seemingly 500,000 years. But that said, a career 35.5% three-point shooter that last year Ryder was a starter and shot 41% from three-point range. Like, this is a legitimately good backcourt going up against a Hampton team that they lose Russell Dean from a season ago. I do like what they're able to get out of the Nesbitts. Jordan Nesbitt last year, right around 15 to 16 points per contest. He's able to give you a few boards. And then his partner in crime, Amir Nesbitt, last season was a little bit more of an afterthought. He has been able to rise up throughout the season thus far. And I do think the best rebounder in this game is going to be Kyrie Mullen. Mullen, he was averaging eight plus rebounds per game and 
CAA play last season. He's able to be a good low post player, but doesn't necessarily give you a lot of versatility. And this is just a Hampton team that they're dealing with a lack of depth. Not like Norfolk State is going to be going like 10 deep or anything like that, but I do think that they're going to be able to do a halfway decent job down low. Tyrell Bladen, he's been someone that has just seen inconsistent minutes throughout his career. He comes in from Ryder as well. I remember when he was at Ryder a few seasons ago in terms of rebounds on a permanent basis. He was actually a very solid player, and I do think that he elevates the low post play of this Norfolk State team, and I do think the Norfolk State, with having the uh, far better guards in this game, you also have Dana Tate, who's able to pop it from three-bar range. That's going to allow them to get the job done and win this game by margin. I did set Norfolk State as a nine-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. Semi-total 145. Hampton has not been playing super-duper up-tempo, and when Norfolk State has had their best teams, they have been a little bit more of a slow grinder team that really has been like a top-50 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. So, diving in on the under, and I'm going to lay the points with the old Spartans of Norfolk State. 306-575-306-576. Yeah, South Carolina State, they play us in North Florida. North Florida, a 3.5 to a 4-point favorite. Your total is between 152.5 and 154. For North Florida, set them as 4-point favorites. 3.5 is the max I'm going to be willing to lay, but I am going to be willing to lay it. When North Florida, they do take quite a few losses from a season ago, but I do like the bracket bus and Bucknell Bison transfer and Jake Vanderheijen and what he's able to provide. He's a 6-9 combo player that's able to pop 3. He's currently shooting 77.8% for 3. Gotta expect that to be going down a little bit, but on top of that, that really takes a load off of some like Dorian James, who at 6-7 last season, I mean, he was a solid player for this North Florida team, about 6 points, 5 boards, but that allows him to eat a little bit more down low, and on top of that, you've had Chaz Lanier come in and has really been solid for the North Florida team. He takes over for Jose Placer, who was one of the main facilitators for the team last season. He was a little bit more of an off-the-ball afterthought as Lanier shot about 39% from three-point range. He's done a very good job with the ball in his hands thus far as North Florida. Just 19 turnovers in the first two games of the season, something that they are able to clean up from last season. And for South Carolina State, you do still have some like an Omar Croxley who's able to give you a, a nice double-figure amount of points per game. And Davion Everett might be the best pure rebounder in this game a season ago at South Carolina State. So able to do a nice job reeling in there about six rebounds per game as a sophomore that transferred up to the D1 level. But I do think that with South Carolina State, this team is going to be too sloppy to be able to win this game. Now, granted, South Carolina State has faced better competition thus far than North Florida, but 40 turnovers in their first two games compared to 19 for North Florida. That does say something for South Carolina State. There are good three-point shooters that they had from a season ago, like Lushan Holmes and company. They're all now out of the full. Rakeem Gary, he's now over at New Mexico State. These were really guys that were able to make South Carolina State look irrespectable from three-point range. Not having them, I think, is going to make for a long day against a North Florida team where if you want to beat them, you do have to beat them from the outside. So with North Florida, I did set them as a four-point favorite. We've got a South Carolina State team that over the last few years has been in the top 20 in terms of total possessions per game. North Florida, they're looking to run it and gun it. They're looking to take a bunch of threes as well. So this is a spot where South North Florida is a four-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay up to three and a half with them. Semi-total at 156, so also going in on the over. 36-577, 36-578. Northwestern State is going to be playing us this Stephen F. Stone Cold, Stephen F. Austin, a 11-point favorite, and your total is between 144 and 145. Stephen F. should be the favorite, but I think we've went too far. I set this line at 6.5. Northwestern State lost a ton from last year. They had to go to the junior college level pretty much for their coaching staff, but I mean, some of the junior college guys that this team has brought in, I actually like them. 
Jamel Lane is someone that is able to put the ball in the basket. Jamel Lane was actually playing at the non-D1 level a season ago, and while he was over at Lynn College last season, was really able to light it up. I do think that his upside going to be big for a Northwestern State team that, in general, they're going to be looking to play a lot of positionless basketball. They don't have tremendous size or anything along those lines. J.C. Riley Jr. might be really your lone guy that does have size at right around 6'10", but he's a little bit unproven. But I do think that if you're able to get some good production out of someone like Dwayne Posey. Posey, a season ago, he was over at Alabama State, being able to give you about 7.5 points, 5 boards. And I think that that is going to be very beneficial going up against a Stephen F. Austin team that doesn't do the world's greatest job of cleaning up the glass as well. Day-Day Hall, he is a nice go-to scorer last season. He was able to put in there 13 points, 7 boards, was pretty much a do-it-all guy for Stephen F. Austin, but Stephen F. Austin gets really sloppy. They were in the bottom 40 in all of college bats last year in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. Now, they return the favor by being one of the top teams in all of college basketball in terms of generating steals that leads to run-out buckets, and Stephen F. Austin, a season ago, they were a top 25 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage with the likes of Latrell Jossel being able to light it up from three. Nana Ati Boaseko is able to be a little bit of a rim protector as well, and they do bring in Frank Staney from within the conference as well. Utah Tech last season was able to put in their 7.5 points mid-33-point shooter. I don't really think he elevates his team, though, and for Northwestern State, if you're able to continue to have Ryan Forrest doing what he's doing, he comes in as a freshman, a pretty heralded freshman. He's been able to give the team a combined 40 points in the first two games. I do think that there's upside with Northwestern State, and I think that Stephen F. Austin, just because of their style and their overall sloppiness, they just aren't able to get it done, and Stephen F. Austin, typically we see their games get out of control. They had an uncharacteristic low-scoring slog against Middle Tennessee a few days ago, which I think is leading to us getting a nice discount on the total set mine at a 115.5, diving in on the over, and with Stephen F. Austin going to make them a six and a half point favorite. So, taking a look at those points, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 306.579, 306.580. Central Arkansas plays those to Arkansas Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff is a three and a half to a four and a half point underdog. Totals between 151 and 152. I set Arkansas Pine Bluff as a one point favorite. I'm going to be taking them outright on the money line. With Arkansas Pine Bluff, they bring in Rashad Williams, who I still remember during the 2019-20 season while he was over in the Horizon League. He took 12 and a half threes per contest. As far as I can track, which is the beginning of the 2000 and 2001 season, that's the most threes per game that I've seen any player take in a season. So his walkout song should be John Legend's Green Light because he certainly has it. But you know who else has the green light? Joe French, who each of the last few seasons has shot at least 40% from three-point range. Kyla Milton, he has looked really good to begin this season. First three games, averaging 27.5 points per contest, piggybacking off of last season, being able to give out four boards, four assists, steal half, 13 points per game, a nice do-it-all player, and you just don't have that with the Central Arkansas team, and I feel like a lot of people are forgetting for Central Arkansas, they're without their top scorer right now. Cameron Hunter is going to be out for the first month or so of the season, who he led the way with like 17 points, five boards, four assists, stealing half per contest. Everything ran through that, and now you're going to be looking to someone like an Elias Cato, who he's not a bad player by his stretch of the imagination, but at six foot nine, it's going to be featured a lot in the low post. They've had him have the ball in his hands quite a bit. They don't have a single player that has really emerged 
as a guy that can both score and facilitate. Ioannis Kespu, who comes in from Estonia, he's become pretty much a pass-first guy, and that has caused for a little bit of clunkiness in the offense. You've had Messiah Olawerke, who was able to give you about 10 points per contest, see a little bit of a dive in his production as well. And I do think that for Arkansas Pine Bluff, they're going to be able to win the battle down low as well. You've got someone in Ismail Pete, who last season, Mr. Platt, he was able to give you about five boards, four and a half points per game. Not going to give you a ton of scoring, but I think that he's able to win that battle down low. And you've got just all sorts of scores for this Pine Bluff team going up against the Central Arkansas Bunch without their floor general. So I'm going to be taking Arkansas Pine Bluff outright on the money line. Did semi-total at a 151 as well. Arkansas Pine Bluff, more of a mid-tempo team. Central Arkansas, they look to play fast, but... Central Arkansas, I just don't think he's going to do their part with the total because I think their scoring is going to be very much stunted by the fact that Hunter's out of the fold. So we're going to have the under and look at that Pine Bluff outright on the money line. 306581, 306582. Houston is playing host to Setson. Setson between 26F and 27.0 underdogs. Your total on this game is anywhere between 137F and 139. Houston is just all sorts of good at being able to cover these numbers. Typically, I have quite a bit of trepidation there, but with the Setson team, they just don't look to be the same team in offense that they were a season ago. A season ago, they were just a horrible defense, but there were a team that they were able to put the ball in from three-point range. Now, Stefan Swenson, in that game against UNLV, he went over. I forget if it was 13 or 14 shots, but he had a complete and utter stink burger. He last season was able to give you five assists per contest, but was able to do a nice job of being able to put the biscuit in the basket there. So that, you got to think, is going to be able to iron out just a scotch. But I just take a look at the history of this Houston team and how they've been able to cover these big numbers. And it's just something that you can't ignore. Houston has been able to cover most of these big numbers throughout the season thus far on that closing number against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. You weren't able to quite get there on the opener. You did, but I mean, if you take a look at the overall history of Houston basketball, and this goes all the way back about 15 or so years, when Houston is laying at least 25 points, they're actually 11-5-1 against the spread. And if you want to go even further in their last 14, 10-4 against the spread. So they've actually been very good at being able to cover these numbers. And like I said, one of those losses, that's because the closing number just got completely steamed to high noon. Houston is going to be able to control this game down low. Javier Francis has been able to do a nice job of being able to generate some blocks. You've been able to have Jawan Roberts once again be absolutely tremendous on the glass and for Setson, you just really don't have a lot of size to speak of. You've been able to get some rebounding out of Abe Gesterste. He's a six foot eleven gentleman that comes in from Belgium. Last season, he was very much an afterthought, so I do have to wonder how big of a leap he's going to be able to take. Phelan Blackman is a nice go-to scorer, but he's not a great three-point shooter from a Setson team that was very good from three. Losing Weasel Ponzo was massive. You've got LJ Cryer, Damian Dunn, a pair of guys for the Houston team are able to light it up from three-point range. You've got Jamal Shedd, who's one of the most efficient point guards in all of college basketball, a guy that's able to generate steals. And for Houston, they are turning the ball over nine and a half times for contests, and they're getting 14 steals per game. They're averaging four and a half more steals than they are turnovers, so that doesn't even include opponents' dead ball turnovers. They should completely dominate this game, in my opinion, against a sets of team that just doesn't have the three-point shooting pop that they did last season. I do think that this is going to be slowed down. Houston, one of the slower teams at all of college basketball, and sets in. Even though they scored a lot last year, they did play at one of the slowest styles in all of college basketball. So I set my total at 129. I just flat out think that sets in. It's going to be out below 50 in this one. So take a look at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Houston. Willing to go up to 28 and a half. 306, 583, 306-584. Arizona's going to be playing us to Southern. Southern is an underdog between 30 and 31 and a half points. And your total on this game are between 157 and 158. I said Southern is 23 and a half point underdogs. So I'm going to be willing to take the points. 
I recognize that Arizona had that massive win against Duke, but you saw Southern go on the road and knock off UNLV by double figures in actually really convincing fashion. Now, this is a Southern team that's a little bit makeshift, and with Southern, they're going to cool down from the fact that they are currently shooting 50% from three-point range. This is not that good of a three-point shooting team. This is also a team that is probably going to have some issues down low, but someone like a Deron Wilkins coming in after he was a bit of an afterthought a season ago, I think that that is going to be big for them. And what has really been nice for them, they bring in Tehran Joseph. Joseph last season, he was over at Radford. He was a part-time starter for them, was able to play some solid defense, wasn't necessarily much of an offensive cock. He's really been able to give this team some nice pop. And for Southern, this is a team that last year they were built around being able to generate steals, being able to hold their own on defense. They knew that they would get plowed on glass, but they were able to hold their own by being able to just make games yucky, make things just all out of sorts. And I think that they're going to be doing that once again this year. And if they're able to get to Sean Allen, who last year, he was an afterthought for the team after two seasons ago over at Western Illinois. Was able to give you a little bit of something, a career mid 33 point shooter. If he's able to elevate, that's going to be big going up against an Arizona team that I mean, they are going to be able to win that battle down low with Umar Bello being a seven footer that's able to give you multiple boards. He's able to do a nice job being able to give you blocks, certainly more than multiple boards. I think that he's, when it's all said and done, going to be averaging like eight to nine rebounds per game. The Kylan Boswell and Caleb Love connection, that's certainly going to be one to take note of. And we saw them put up 122 against Morgan State. This is a different team than Morgan State, though. This is not as lowly of a HBCU as Morgan State is. You've got yourself Pell Larson for Arizona is able to come in off the bench. He's able to pop threes at a really high clip, but Arizona sometimes can get a little bit out of sorts. You do have to wonder if Caleb Love goes into hero ball mode a little bit too much and tries to showcase himself just as coach too much. And for Southern, I do think that they're going to be looking to play a little bit more up-tempo as well. Arizona, they're clearly looking to run it and gun it. We did see Duke control the tempo a little bit more in that game. I think Arizona gets this game played a little bit more at their terms, but I do think that Southern buries enough threes to hang within 30. I set my line at 23 and a half. Going to be taking a look at the points and with this total at 157 after 158, semi total 161 half, diving in on the over end. We wrap things up with 306585, 306.586. Pepperdine plays those to Long Island. Long Island is an underdog between 15 and 16 and a half points. Your totals between 157 and a half and 158 and a half. With Pepperdine, I did set them as 20 and a half point favorites. I'm going to be one to lay it. Pepperdine did lose that game to UC Davis a few days ago, but they actually looked really good in that game, and I liked what I saw out of them. You've got Houston Mallet, who's been able to give you a little bit north of 20 points per contest, so that's something encouraging for this bunch. On top of that, you're going to be able to get some good production out of Ethan Anderson. Ethan Anderson, I still remember as a freshman over at USC, he was able to give out right around four assists per contest. He's someone I do think is going to be able to elevate this game. Now, if you do have a little bit of a concern about Pepperdine, they do have a very tight schedule in which they've got a lot of games are back-to-back-to-back, so that is something that I'm going to be taking note of, but for Long Island, this is one of the worst teams in all of college basketball. They lost on their home floor to 15 by Air Force. That is not a good sign now. With Long Island, you do have Terrell Strickland now playing for his father, Rod Strickland. Yes, that Rod Strickland that was very good in the NBA in the first game of the campaign. He was able to give out five assists, but the five turnovers, that was a little bit less than terrific for Long Island. Last season, they were an okay three-point shooting team, but they didn't do a very good job with the fundamentals in general. And for Long Island, they played fast last year, and they were one of the worst defenses in all of college basketball. That looks to be the same this season as well. R.J. Green is fully capable of being able to give you double 
couple figures. And Tana Copa looks like he's going to be one of those guys that they're going to be looking to feature down low over at Spring Hill. He was actually a very solid rebounder, was a nice starter for them last season. I know that two seasons ago he started out a little bit more on the bench, but you've got to be wondering what you're going to be able to get down low. And even though Pepperdine has been dealing with a bit of an ailment as they have been having out of the fold Javon Porter, which I'm waiting to see what's happened there because he just has not been able to take the floor the first few games of the season, and I have ruled him out for this game as well. But even with him out, the team has been able to do a nice job of just being a piecemeal together. Michael Ajay, he has been able to step up in his absence as far as the season. He's been able to do a nice job being able to record 10-plus rebounds per game. I don't think that Long Island is going to have any sort of an answer for that. And if you're able to get Bubakar Kolobali to be able to really function down low as well, that's going to be big for the team as well because you do have a dynamic backcourt that has quite a few good scores, even some like Jalen Petrie, who eight seasons ago, he was a little bit of a hot and cold sort of guy. If he's able to emerge, I think that you're staring at something with Pepperdine and with Long Island. It's at the very minimum, it's a bottom five team in all of college basketball. So with Pepperdine, set them as a 20 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay it. Set my total at 160 and a half. So also going over with Long Island, one of the least efficient defenses in the country. And that will wrap things up for the Monday edition of Coast Coast Soups. Now part of the Beats and Family Podcast. A big thanks to Eli Becker, who does great work over at EchexCBB. Join me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever, before this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at Junet underscore one. Keep in mind, Larry ZM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.